Welcome, beautiful thinkers. So I've got this special episode to present to you today. So what happened was <laughs> uh, my friend Derek Bros putting on this event. It's called the Greater Reset. So as a response to the World Economic Forum putting on event, an event called the Great Reset in which they apparently plan to restructure the world or talk about how they can manipulate perhaps the world to their own ends and Derek decided well if the people of the world who want to control it are trying to put on this event we're going to do a similar thing and trying to talk about how to create new solutions to live in a more wonderful world more abundant world a sustainable world so in January and in May he put on this event I thought maybe I would be able to present in May. That ended up not panning out, but that's fine. That's why I came up with this speech, and that's why I presented to you today. So I guess the, the context is, yes, you need to know about Klaus Schwab and the, the World Economic Forum, and also, of course, about Bill Gates. That's an important point in this speech. In the, in the mainstream media, Bill Gates is portrayed as a hero, somebody who's providing vaccines and promoting public health for the world. But in the alternative media, he's presented in a very different light. He's presented as, as a villain, somebody who is manipulating the world, who is trying to sell his inferior products and present himself as a philanthropist when he's really only trying to make money. So maybe if we look from a third perspective, he's neither of these things. He's, he's something very different. And I'll get into that in the speech. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy this, remember to send a message to a friend and tell them why they, they might also enjoy it, how it might give them a different perspective on the world, perhaps help them settle down a bit and not worry so much about the future as we become more conscious and move into a new age, something perhaps entirely new, entirely novel, and not previously expected. Let's begin. This is a beautiful thought. All right, all right. So this is the presentation that I was thinking, hoping of giving at the Greater Reset in May this year, 2021, Anno Domini. And I'm going to read it out, read out some of the slides. Of course, you can't see the slides. Later, I'll probably publish a version of this with the video so you can see it with the slides and some of my photos and things. But it's mostly supplementary so i can explain these things so who am i well most people listening to this podcast know who i am of course i'm a host of this podcast also sometimes known as that australian who was deported from mexico this speech this presentation is entitled all is one it's a spiritual perspective on current events so of course there's a lot of things happening right now there's a lot of chaos, strangeness, and novelty 
and it can be difficult to make sense of it. But if we step back from our normal dualistic way of looking at things, perhaps enter into a more unified, integrated or monistic way of looking at things, then we might have some perspective. We might not be so worried about any individual event. So it might give us some calm, some peace and presence. (laughs) So I'd like to go back in time about one year ago, June 2020 in Guadalajara. So I was in my apartment in downtown Guadalajara and somehow I was watching a video from Josh Sigurdsson from World Alternative Media and I noticed, huh, okay, he's, well, he's in Puerto Vallarta right now and he's talking about events in Guadalajara. In fact, he's talking about events that are happening right now. He's talking about a protest that is happening about 10 or 12 blocks away from my apartment, from my home. <laughs> and what had happened was there was a fellow, a construct a builder or bricklayer. His name was Giovanni Lopez. And in a tragic series of events, Giovanni Lopez was, well, his life was ended in one form or another. He lived in a town called Ixtlahuacan de los Membrillos, which is about an hour away from Guadalajara to the south, just between Guadalajara and Chapala. And what happened was he was walking with his family one night and he wasn't wearing a face mask. Now, supposedly, the, in a lot of municipalities, the face mask is obligatory, but a lot of the time it's, it's not really enforced in Mexico because police don't really bother with that stuff and they know people aren't going to pay much attention anyway. They kind of do what they want. So what happened, the, the police pulled him over ostensibly for this reason. Perhaps there was some other reason we don't really know. And they, they took him in and unfortunately, tragically, Giovanni Lopez was never seen alive again. He had some bullet wounds in his feet when he were, when he was found. Or uh, I, I think, well, he might have been seen alive for just a few hours in the hospital by his family and, and then passed away. But that was in May 2020, so it was kind of unusual that the protest would happen one month after that. A lot of the time in Mexico... It's kind of a, an acknowledged fact that that a lot of the protests are somehow manipulated by politicians, and this this is the kind of thing that happens. I went, <laughs> so I, I talked to my girlfriend at the time, and she said, "Well, the one thing you must not do is go down there. You could get into a lot of trouble. could could be violent. It could be very strange. Do not go down there." So, of course, what I did picked up my camera I said a man's gonna do what a man's gonna do and I walked down there to the protest and I was walking west on Avenida Juarez and it's like everybody is walking to the east and I'm the only pendejo walking to the west and I'm seeing like people somebody had pulled off some garbage bins from the posts and they're throwing them at windows there's a lot of smashed glass around i'm like okay well what am i getting into here (laughs) but i persisted 
and there's these people out there. Some are trying to get get the attention of the crowd. Some people are calling names at the police, and there's just this line of police with the riot shields, and there's also the line of protesters blocking traffic. Well, I guess everybody's blocking traffic at this point, and. There's reporters going around, talking to people. And at one stage, I was like, I saw the police mobilizing. They're moving towards the crowd, some of them maybe on motorcycles. And as I'm taking some footage and snapping some photos, I'm saying out loud, they are human beings. They are human beings. I'm trying to remind the police of that fact that important fact, because I know, actually, police in Mexico will take that <laughs> seriously. I, mean, I think they they do have that mentality sometimes, which I'll explain a little more later. So later it occurred to me that actually, well, maybe it was the crowd. I needed to remind them that the police are human beings, which is kind of... I never expected to be in that situation. But people are yelling at the police and they're saying, you are murderers, murderers. And they say, well, this is apparently a common chant in Mexico. It's like, Giovanni se murió y el Estado le mató. Giovanni died and it was the state that killed him. And they're yelling the, these things calling pigs, calling the police pigs and this kind of thing. And I thought, this is kind of unfair, actually. And like I said, never really expected to <laughs> to have this perspective <laughs> of being the one, like, defending the, the police in some sense. But imagine if you were in one of these policemen's position. So represent the state police. You're actually not affiliated with the municipal police who perhaps murdered Giovanni Lopez. And you're from a different organization and you're a different person. You're an individual. I do think it's the individuals who should be responsible for the crimes. So imagine being called a murderer someone who you never met mur- who was a murderer some someone who you, you you never met in your life and you're being associated with this person and you're being called a murderer that would be pretty tough so in some sense I actually gained respect for the Mexican state the Jalisco state police in in this scenario because they took it well they didn't take it exactly kindly i mean they followed their protocols which are not exactly polite (laughs) but in some sense they were professional about it now i saw this fellow his name was martin so they had this wall of riot shields and the, the police are standing there like three people deep behind the riot shields the commander is behind them with a black hoodie, a black um, beanie, or took rather, and he's looking all tough. And I, 
Martin was at, at the rightmost side and right at the back of the this wall of police and he did look like he looked like an approachable fellow he looked kind of like <laughs> you'd have a drink with this guy if he weren't wearing these black clothes and uh, at the behind a riot shield so i went to talk to him and i said listen uh you know why can't you ask your commander to talk to these people because i think if you had some kind of discussion some some kind of conversation with them this can actually be calmed down a lot just by talking and martin was like well it's not really any way to do that or he kind of agreed with me but dismissed me or so i thought and then i was like okay i thought i guess this fellow is just a cog in a machine he can't do anything and He's not exactly sympathetic. And I was about to walk off. And he said, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? <laughs> Those tender words, which in the right situation can break down a lot of barriers. And I started having a chat to him. And I said, you know, all I really want is that nobody else is injured or, or killed today. That's it. That's you know, and prefer that everybody could go home at the end of the day and be intact and have some kind of peaceful resolution to this. And while I didn't agree with Martin's response, uh, it was obvious that he actually had some empathy for, for what was going on here. So he said to me, you know, we don't have a solution for this. We don't know how to get out of this situation. All we try to do is come down here and we try to calm down the situation. And I thought, okay, you're trying to calm these things down with riot shields and people looking very serious and uh, tear gas. <laughs> it's not my idea of calming things down. But he said to me, it always happens. Every few months it happens. People come out here and they have some gripe and they try to make their voices heard. And they're always right. And I was like, whoa, what? That's, <laughs> that's really not my, what I expected to hear. <laughs> and I had to do a, a double tank. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> and yeah, obviously the, the man is in a, a difficult situation. He's trying to feed his family and is trying to maintain his job. And in, in some form, some very flawed form he's trying to maintain order and I, I said okay thank thank you martin you know it was nice to talk to you and i hope you arrive home safely tonight and i, I said goodbye and he, he said goodbye and you know wish me luck and the the other police officers next to him who had been silent and obviously been listening and they were like hey you too man you know thanks thanks for saying that i appreciate that and <laughs> i ended up posting about this interaction on twitter and <laughs> i tell the whole story and at the end i said something like you know it's really hard to see somebody as a person when you have a riot shield in your face it's hard to have a conversation a peaceful conversation when you have a heart when you have a riot shield in your face 
And it's also hard to have a peaceful conversation when people are calling you a murderer for something you've never done, for something somebody who you've never met had done. And <laughs> I got a few people on Twitter get pretty mad about this. They're like, what? You know, who, who do you think you are, gringo? You're coming to Mexico and, and trying to do some journalism, take photos and have your commentary. You don't understand this culture. Well, I, you know, have some understanding of it. <laughs> uh, but it's very difficult. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus of Nazareth came out with a radical message saying, why don't we love each other, right? And it was radical then, still kind of radical today. It's hard for people to take because if they want to demonize somebody, if they want to create that, that triangle of disempowerment where there's a, a victim, a savior, and a perpetrator, persecutor or a villain they need the villain in that story the only way that this triangle of disempowerment makes sense is if there is a villain and if you tell people hey these these are people too they don't like that they get very resistant to that and it is something that actually certain forces i don't know exactly what but certain forces promote this it's called the illusion of separation. So we have things like with police. Of course, they'll come out with their aviated glasses. Now they'll wear masks as well. Maybe even gas masks. They do a lot of things which will present the illusion that they're not human. And I always remember in 2012, there was Occupy Melbourne inspired by the Occupy Wall Street movement and people out there in city square and they're selling or giving away food for the homeless or, you know, anybody who wants to come and eat and they're giving Spanish lessons and, and little things, having workshops and just having talks like, what can we do to solve the world's problems or our nation's problems or our city's problems? How, how can we make things better for, for everybody? And, you know, obviously I didn't uh, agree with everybody there politically, but that's that's fine. I thought I thought it was great that they're having this symposium and pe people can have a conversation, a serious conversation and look for solutions. I thought it was really sweet. And what happened one day, I walked down from my job. I finished around 1 or 2 p.m. And I come down to Swanson Street and I just see police shoulder to shoulder and what's happened is they've they've kettled in the protesters there and forced them up Swanston Street trying to manipulate them into moving where they want them to move and I see one of these policemen he's standing there and stone-faced as all of them are and it's very obvious that we can't get through, uh, even though I want to walk this direction. And I see uh, a woman, maybe in her 50s, and she says, oh, excuse me, sir, uh, how, how do we get through to, to this policeman? And instantly, <laughs> the stone face drops. Instantly, it becomes apparent that his face is not made of stone. He's just a human. 
like everybody else. And he says, oh, well, yes, madam, you can go go down here three blocks or go go up and around uh, and you can, you can find a way. You'll be able to get through. And it was all fine. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't all fine. But, it, but the point is how quickly the countenance of somebody with that stone face can change into somebody who is human. How quickly that illusion of separation can drop. And of course, the illusion of separation goes on both sides. So what happened with the, the media, the way they were portraying these protesters, they say, well, they're professional protesters. They're just a bunch of hippie losers. They have no jobs. I, don't, I still don't know what a professional protester is. If they were trying to it is something running in mainstream media, so I don't think they were trying to say that it was Soros-funded, but I still don't know what that means. This is just a, a thing about propaganda. You can just repeat these terms and people start believing them. The point is they would dehumanize the, these protesters. And, you know, we've seen that a lot with these, these terms lately. They draw them out again, the conspiracy theorist term and... Any term that, that you like to try to diminish the humanity of other people. But we are all human, even if we're put in uncomfortable situations. I mean, there, there are probably some sociopaths out there, but for the most part, people are, are people. This is an important idea. Maybe you know the, the story of the emperor's new clothes. So, of course, what happens in that story, it's only the young boy who sees through the illusion and he's the one who, who's able to say, hang on, actually, the emperor has no clothes on. Everybody else is trying to play along because they think that the clothes can only be seen by somebody who is intelligent. So the, the boy says the truth <laughs> and the emperor suddenly becomes embarrassed walking out in public naked. So the idea, preference, false, pre preference, falsification this is an idea from the political science professor his name is Timur Kuran he's a Turkish American fellow and he wrote this book I mean I haven't read it it's called private truths public lies I had listened to a, a podcast an interview with him it's very fascinating and the the idea is that for example, so Quran uses the example of what happened in Turkey where there was the Islamic State and got overtaken by this new regime. And people said, OK, we're going to do things the Western way, capitalist values and free markets and pro progress. And we're not going to have a theocracy. And a lot of people like, oh, yes, yes, you know, great. The people within the capital in Istanbul, they were like, yes, yes, this is, this is great. Or a lot of people. But some people who said this is great, they didn't really believe it in their heart. So what happens? Finally, somebody throws a stone and they say, ah, oh, the stone that launched a revolution. No, no, it wasn't the stone that launched a revolution. It was what was in the people's hearts all along. They want to say what other people want, 
what they think that other people want them to hear. And likewise, with how Trump got elected in 2015, 2016, a lot of people didn't want to say that they were going to vote for Trump, but actually they had a soft spot for this crude or what seemed to be a straight-talking man in comparison to other politicians. So <laughs> people would say, uh, you know, maybe I'll vote independent. Maybe I'll vote for Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate. But then finally they go to the polls and they vote for Trump. So it's not what's happening on the surface that that's the reality. Below the surface, something else is going on. And that might be what we're seeing in, in the world today. I think this idea is very important because we might think that the tide is going one way when actually it's going quite another way. We might think that people are against us when secretly they might be for us. So a friend of mine was in Berlin last year and what would happen, she was in a, a carriage on, a, on the metro and she wasn't wearing a mask and for many months she would wear the metro, uh, she would go on the metro without wearing a mask and it was all fine, people never said anything it was just like, okay, you you know, you do what you want to do. And people have this let, live and let live attitude and everything's fine. At some point, the propaganda or the government publicity started to change. And it said, this is the appropriate way to treat someone who doesn't wear a mask. And it says the, the way you treat them is you point the finger at them. You call them a murderer. You say they're irresponsible. And you can do this. <laughs> so they're putting out these, I don't know what they were, maybe things on the TV and things on the train itself saying this is how you treat an, an anti-masker. And so what happens, you're, you're on the train, on the metro, and you're, you don't have a mask and one woman, one man stands up and, and points at you. It's kind of a, unfortunate the term is Karen, so we, we think these people must be women, I guess, but not always the case. Somebody stands up and points at you, calls you irresponsible, saying you're murdering grandma, and everybody else is silent. So you might assume that everybody else on the, the carriage is against you because we think a lot of the time silence is assent. Silence is assent. So, so we think that people who are being silent are also against us or they somehow agree with what's happening. But it works the other way too. So perhaps <laughs> what would happen? We might assume that we have these 98 people on the carriage that are against us and one, people who, one person who's actually being vocal about it. But what might be the case is that those 98 people actually think that you should be left alone, but they don't want to speak. Because they think they're popular. They think that everybody else, those other 97 people, are also against it. And so for that reason, they don't want to speak up. But in these situations, it only takes a couple of people to say, actually, you know what? Quiet down. <laughs> she's not being that irresponsible. She's, she's just doing what she thinks is best. And maybe you should just settle down. 
and other people, you know, who knows what would happen. Maybe another person on the carriage would say, actually, that, that guy is right. But we don't know. Until these things are tested, we, we can assume incorrectly that people are against us. Now, I also want to use this analogy about the experienced meditator or also the experienced psychonaut. Sometimes these things are related. So what happens with an inexperienced meditator? Maybe he sits down one day and he has a really great experience. He sits down for half an hour and the meditation goes great. He feels full of energy. There's this energy changing within him or his mind is just so peaceful. He has this wonderful experience. He might be even filled with joy. It's really lovely experience to have. And after the meditation, he stands up and he, he says a little prayer. And then he says, oh, I'm a good meditator now. I'm, a, I'm an experienced meditator. And he has that idea in his mind for the rest of the day. The next day, he sees that cushion and he sits down <laughs> and maybe he thinks, am I still a good meditator? <laughs> And after the first five minutes of meditation, he, he can't quiet his mind and he thinks, oh no, I've lost it. I'm not the experienced meditator that I thought I was. What is happening? His sense of self gets challenged in this way. It's kind of silly, but this, this is what happened, the kind of ego game that goes on within each one of us. And as, as a result, he's so preoccupied <laughs> that his mind is busy he doesn't manage to settle down and, and it's like maybe the rest of the day he's bummed about it because it's like, oh, maybe I'm not, I'm not that great or whatever. And what happens with the experienced meditator? He, he comes in, sees the cushion, sits down 30 minutes, an hour, and he has a great meditation right? or has a joyful experience, <laughs> you know, According to the according to good meditators, there's not really <laughs> there's not really a good or bad meditation, just meditation, right? But he has a he has at least a lovely experience, feels the joy, his mind is at peace, and he gets up, says a little prayer, and goes about his day. And he doesn't have things in mind. He doesn't think, ah, oh, I'm a good meditator. He doesn't necessarily think this reflects on him. It's just an experience. What happens the next day? He comes in, sees the cushion, sits down, and maybe for the first five minutes, his mind is quite busy. Or maybe even for the entire meditation, his mind is quite busy. He doesn't say, oh no, I've lost it. I'm not as good as I thought I was. He just continues. And even if things don't, go excellently at least his mind is is a little more calm than it was before or he's worked through something in his mind or whatever it doesn't matter he continues with the practice and the rest of his day is brighter because of that so what if <laughs> maybe we assume that these events are somehow against us our interpretations like with the in inexperienced meditator or actually I'll go back <laughs> I said I was going to talk about the, the inexperienced 
psychonaut. What happens with the, the inexperienced psychonaut? <laughs> he has a bad trip. That's what he calls it. And maybe he even says, I'm never, never going to take psychedelics again. He has this experience so confronting, full of fear. He experiences terror, all these things. And it's so uncomfortable for him. Whereas with the experienced meditator, here's a very different interpretation of this experience. So he might have the identical vision, even the identical emotions, but his interpretation of it is quite different. So if you listen to experienced psychonauts, they don't normally use the term bad trip. They might say something like, I had a challenging trip, or they might say something like, I learned a lot, or they might say, I, I faced my shadow. Or they say something subtle like, I have become aware of things which previously I was unaware. <laughs> and this is like a very enlightened psychonaut, but they might say something like that. So it is depending on the interpretation. And we, again, we think things like circumstances are for us or against us. But that's a kind of illusion. This is like short-term view of what's going on. In the long term, the, the experienced psychonaut and the experienced meditator, they both know that if, if they follow the process, then things generally work out for the best. And this happens in life as well. So it's not just with internal experiences. This is also with external operators. So sometimes I use this term agent of fate. I remember this must have been around 2016. I lost quite a lot of Bitcoin, like almost half my net worth in Bitcoin. And I had some other losses around that time. I had some, I was trying to get a, a, a laptop imported to Mexico. I ended up losing the money and didn't get the laptop. And uh, somebody stole my phone as well. I had this se series of unfortunate events then one night i was still worrying about this and thinking you know how could i have been so stupid i didn't exercise any awareness in the situation i was ungrateful i could have done anything with that money i could have traveled around mexico for months and months with that with that money I really enjoyed it. I could have done anything. I could have even given it to charity. And that would have been better than having this dodgy exchange not give me my money. Really, I could have, could have done anything. It would have been better. Now I was quite distraught about it. So what happens? One night I'm going to bed and I just lie down to bed and I have this, you might call it a hypnogogic I think hypnagogic is the word <laughs> hypnagogic or hypnopompic experience and i see this figure in a white robe appear to me i can't make out his face and behind him are some some other beings i can't really see them clearly and this figure appears to be masculine and he starts saying hey don't worry we're behind this. We have organized these things. 
We've, we're arranging things behind the scenes so these events would happen, so these losses would occur in your life. But don't worry, because these are ultimately good things. <laughs> Might not seem like it now, but these things serve your spirituality. You will learn spiritual lessons and you will have a deeper appreciation as a result of this. And I was somewhat comforted this unusual experience. <laughs> again, once again, the lesson is sometimes we think things are bad for us. Sometimes we think external actors are trying to mess with us. Maybe they're really trying to teach us. Now, if you look at this man, all right, you can't see the photo. It's a photo of Klaus Schwab and it's edited. So it look, looks like he's standing behind a globe and he's looking very serious. Klaus Schwab is the director of an organization called the World Economic Forum. And he has this project called the Great Reset. And people are concerned about this. They think that he's going to change the world somehow. Maybe there, there was an article on the World Economic Forum website talking about it's 2030. I own nothing and I am happy. So it sounds like what they're planning is they're going to take all take control of all of the property in the world and all of the possessions, all of the things you could possibly own. And the only way people can survive is by renting things from their organization or from some some other thing that they represent. But also this has that project called the Great Reset when they meet together every few months. They met in January, they met in May. Now, I do have to thank Klaus Schwab because if, <laughs> if Klaus Schwab didn't do the Great Reset, then there would be no Greater Reset organized by Derek Bros. <laughs> These so far there have been two events, and uh, I think Derek is going to continue doing these events in Cihuatanejo, Guerrero. And yes, Klaus Schwab might have had one intention, but the consequence might be quite another thing. So many interesting people might get together and start thinking about solutions as a, as a result. Now, I'd like to talk about metta. That is, I'd like to talk about loving kindness meditation. And I can even lead you in a loving kindness meditation. So sometimes when we hate others, in fact, many times when we hate others, like Klaus Schwab or other public figures, politicians, sometimes we are actually seeing a part of ourselves which we don't really like. And that's why the hate seems so resonant. Because we don't really like to admit that we might be capable of doing the kind of things that they do, or having the kind of motivations that they have. Chances are, if you look inside and look at your own urges, then you probably will find that there is some, some darkness in there. So I do think it's possible. Well, I think 
some of these powerful people who have these dark motivations and who follow them and who think they're somehow entitled to do it, I think perhaps it's simply because they didn't receive enough love. Now, they might have actually been so abused or so misled that they're not even capable of love, not capable of loving others and not capable of loving themselves. That's my hypothesis. If they are not capable of love, then it becomes so much more important or so much more of an opportunity for us who are capable of love to exercise it. So, metta, loving-kindness meditation. Now, sometimes a metta meditation begins with oneself, but a lot of the time it's easier to think of somebody who you know and love, somebody with whom you have an uncomplicated relationship. I invite you to close your eyes and think of somebody like that. You really do want this person to be happy, to be free of suffering, to enjoy life. Yeah, good things could come to this person that will be delightful if they have greater self-knowledge greater enjoyment wish that person well I wish that person happiness Now we might think of someone a little more difficult to love. Maybe we have an ex-partner, a romantic or business partner. Things didn't work out quite so well between us. What would it be like? to wish that person happiness. Whatever happened between us, I hope they're getting on with their lives. I hope they've learned from the experience as we learn from the experience and move on to greater things. I wish that person happiness. Now maybe go a little further. Perhaps someone like Bill Gates. A lot of people might despise Bill Gates. 
perhaps he needs or would benefit from love more than anyone. I suspect the world would be a much, much nicer place if Bill Gates were to enjoy simple happiness. The kind of happiness that might arise when you're on the beach, like in Sihuatanejo, and watching the sun set over the waves. I wish Bill Gates happiness. I hope the people around Bill treat him with love. I hope I wish Bill Gates can experience love within and without. <laughs> what a world it will be where powerful people know the power of happiness and love not to exploit it, but to enjoy it as a fellow human being. I wish happiness to that person. sometimes doing this meditation can feel a little strange so maybe take a few deep breaths Now bring your attention to yourself because yes, even though you might not verbalize it frequently, you might not think about it, you do wish yourself happiness, joy, fulfillment. May all your struggles be worthwhile. If you do have a challenge, may it result in wonderful lessons that deepen your wisdom, your discernment, and your happiness.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for opening your heart a little more. Thank you for wishing well to others, even when it's difficult. A beautiful thought. Thanks for listening there. So it is interesting, actually. It's kind of unusual, very unusual. When I did that meditation exercise the first few times, focusing on people like Bill Gates and trying to send them good vibes, it did feel very strange, almost like a hollow feeling. Or there's a feeling like there's some kind of barrier preventing good intentions getting through. I don't really know what to make of that. But if you do feel a little unusual after doing that exercise, you might want to stand up and shake it off or do some deep breathing or just focus your attention once again on yourself and wish yourself well, because that seems to help to get out of it. So thanks again for for coming along for the ride. If you want to share this with some friends, then I invite you to do that. Uh, Go ahead and send somebody a message and give them a little reason why they might enjoy listening to this episode. And most importantly, have a wonderful day. Thank you.